Welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. <laughs> now, Flexers, today we have an awesome podcast for you from our most popular guest to date. I'm pretty sure. I believe, Luke from Muscle Nerds, that you have the most popular podcast. That's right, isn't it? I'm pretty certain, yeah. And we want to give them for what they want, Luke. They want yes. you. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel all like really warm inside. Like I just had three Turkish coffees. <laughs> <laughs> now, what if hypothetically, though, you were the biggest download for people that listen to you, but you were the worst on the visual in YouTube? This isn't true, but would that be offensive? I think it would be. I don't know. You have a watchable face, Luke. Don't listen to Dean. Oh, thanks. 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 Right. It's all sell the plastic surgery. I was going to say, people would have just clicked it because they thought that we had John Cena on. <laughs> oh, fuck. Fuck, that will not go away. I don't see it, but everybody else seems to see it, but I don't know. But it could, you could be, it could be worse. It could look yeah, like man. the Undert- Undertaker. Yeah, that's not a, you know, or Kane. Someone wanted you to have a mask. Mm. Well, you could be like Joe Rogan and just look like a thumb. <laughs> he does look like a thumb. I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that to him. Like not not you know yeah. in the same room. Yeah, I think no. he's a black belt jujitsu, isn't he? I reckon he. Yeah, and he's also like a black belt <laughs> yeah. taekwondo. I think. I don't know. But yeah. I reckon he'd take it. No, I think he'd be down. With I it. don't know. I don't know. Um, I wouldn't risk it, Luke. For those that didn't listen to the first podcast that you were on at Flex Success, can you introduce yourself to the ear people and the eye people? Yeah. Who are you? What do you do? And why do you do it? Oh, um, geez, where do I start with that? I haven't, I haven't had to do, I haven't had to do an intro like that in a while. Um, yeah, so I am I've been in the industry a little over twenty years. Uh, been competing in various sports, bodybuilding. Well, not really bodybuilding. I never did bodybuilding because I, I wouldn't put on the budgies. I did men's bikini before it was men's bikini, so I did the men's <laughs> physique stuff. I was a competitive powerlifter, competitive strongman, um, all that stuff very long time ago. So I basically, man, I grew up in gyms. I grew up in Texas and started training when I was about eight years old to get ready for Texas football. And then I just kept that up, started powerlifting in high school, did that a little bit till, you know, maybe like a year into college, went into the men's physique stuff, did some Atlanta strongman stuff like that, then kind of got bored my ADD doesn't allow me to do anything long enough to like get to the elite level. So I get above average and I'm like, I'm bored. I'm going to go do something else. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I guess my real journey for what I do now started with, uh, the old muscle media, the old magazine that, and when we first got the internet in 1992, I was 14 and I've been reading, you know, the bodybuilding magazines. I saw Charles Poliquin and Paul Check and all these like these giants that we've all learned stuff from. And um, I really resonated with what Charles said and the way he did things. And I ended up going and doing all of his courses and I ended up working for him. And then when he left, uh, I'm not going to say the company's name because we're on bad terms. We'll say the <laughs> company that shall not be named. And uh so he left. I pretty much took over a lot of his duties there and stayed there about two years full time and just decided, man, this isn't for me and uh, left to start a muscle nerds. But we decided to continue on with what I was doing at the time, which is traveling internationally and teaching trainers about science and nutrition and training 
But we decided initially that we would fill this gap in that no one else was teaching. No one else was teaching general population. They were all this stuff that we were teaching at Pollock and at uh, something Voldemort group. Um, <laughs> it slipped out. It's all right. Yeah. So um, all the stuff we were teaching there was how do I train Olympic level, national level, world level, you know, athletes. And that stuff was really good. But then when I would go home and train people, I'm like, okay, this isn't really working for, you know, Susie Muffintop from next door and Joe Dingleberry. They're crippled. I, I had, I could not keep any clients because they were just sore all the time and they didn't want to, that I, I had a really weird perception of what they wanted versus what I wanted for them. Mm. So like a, you know, 65 year old grandma would walk in and she'd be like, I, I just want to get a little bit of stronger. And I'd be like, yeah, we're going to have you at a powerlifting meet in six months. You know, we're going to have you on, we're going to put you in a bikini and put you on stage. Like I had a weird perception of what they actually were asking me to do. And so when I left um, that old company, we decided we're going to teach people, you know, some of this stuff, but how do I modify that for normal people that training is not their second job. It's basically so they don't get a heart attack so they can play with their kids and not be in pain so they can go on hikes and not be fatigued, you know, stuff like that. So we went to the quality of life um, aspect and said, you know, a lot of the stuff that I was teaching and a lot of other people are teaching is very extreme, very extreme, very pedantic, very myopic and dogmatic viewpoints. Why don't we just say, cool, let's take that and water it down and make it accessible for people who can only train three days a week or who don't want to have to put a handicap rail in their bathroom because they can't get off the shitter. So, so, yeah, so that's what we did. But then I painted myself in a corner. So that's all I get now. So I got to the point where all I trained were people that wanted to do bikini shows and physique stuff. And they weren't in any headspace to do that stuff. Um, and then we became the people that coached a lot of coaches and, and gen pop. And so now I'm trying to get out of that personally and get more back into strength. Like, let's get you really fucking strong and don't worry about being thick skin lean and having veins on your fingers, like, trying to get kind of in that. And we've got coaches now for the online training. I'm like, okay, you want to do physique? That's your coach and not me anymore. So, yeah. So it's been a really weird journey. I'm having a bit of a midlife crisis on changing my role in other stuff. Mm. I think we all go through that phase in this industry. Like you find, yeah. you know, you want a niche, you think you've got it, but realistically you're training everyone and anyone. And then you niche up a little bit and then you realize that niche really isn't the niche you want. And then you re-niche mm -hmm. up. So many yeah. lessons I'm sure fit from each category of person that you've taught. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, I, I don't know if you guys, because you guys, whenever I have somebody that comes in, they want to do a bodybuilding show, physique show, whatever. I'm like, look, um, I, I can most of the time they come to me when they're really jacked up, like they've got shoulder impingement issues, hip impingement issues, their knees hurt, their back hurts. Like I've, I've now kind of gotten to that point where people are coming to me to get fixed because they've seen six or seven physios and they're, they've got them doing dinky ass, you know, clamshells and fucking open cans. And we, we train people in a different way to fix that stuff faster using movement and exercise therapy. But a lot of people that come to me now, I want to do a show. Okay, I'm not doing that. So I'll get you, I'll get you healthy enough and moving well enough to do a show. And then let me give you a referral. And most of the time, it's telling me to go to you guys. I'm like, yeah. So if you guys have gotten any crazy people, I apologize. But I find that there's very few people nowadays who can do prep right. They don't have the mental space for it. They don't understand how hard it is, especially if you want to win these days. When I got in the physique, you didn't need to have striated glutes to win. 
you just needed to look pretty good. Now, if you don't have striated glutes, you're not in the top 15. You know, if you're not willing to dig deep and get to that point where you might have to do controlled starvation and feel like shit and your sleep screwed up and your mental space screwed up, most people these days can't even do it. So I, I don't even want to mess with them anymore. So yeah. sorry if I've given you guys some crazy people. No, I think anyone who wants to do a physique show has got to be a little bit nuts. You have to be a little bit nuts. Um, well, we want to do it to that level now because you're right, man. People don't recognize like the true amount of suffering you're going to go through at some point. Yeah. And because, because of Instagram and social media and, you know, it looks like it's all fucking, you know, butterflies and fairies. Like, oh, this is easy. This person just cruises along. It's like, yeah. Their life is falling apart. <laughs> they yeah. went straight and yeah. cute, but they're re- they just lost their marriage. Yeah, it's a fat falls yeah. off, so do their friends. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. And, you know, it's like, and now we've gotten to this point where, okay, at, at one extreme, people were dieting too hard. They were doing way too much exercise and dieting too hard. Now it's like, oh, no, I, I, if I can't eat 3,000 calories and get down to 5% body fat, I'm not doing it right. No, 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 no. Like, you can get away with that until you get pretty lean. But once you get into single-digit body fat, you're just going to have to accept the fact that you're going to have to go down to, you may have to go down to 1,500 to 1,700 calories for a guy if you want to get that last little bit off. For girls, you may have to get down to that 1,000 1200 calories at the very end but they don't want to do it they're like i don't want to run my metabolism then don't fucking do a bodybuilding show there is nothing healthy about a bodybuilding show i think it's hilarious when people look at someone who's really in shape and go wow they're so healthy they must feel so great no they feel like a bag of dicks Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Yeah. we're helping a guy right now um another coach he's getting ready for a photo shoot this weekend because he's getting his portfolio done because he was going into acting and so a few days ago, he sends me his check-in pics and I'm like, Ooh, you're feeling awesome. He goes, man, I feel horrendous. And I'm like, yeah, I can tell you look like you've put on 15 years of age and you've got skeletal face. Like your eyes are sunken in, your cheeks are sunken in. He's like, can I have more calories? I'm like, yeah, we're going to start ramping it up now to fill you back out. But yeah, you're going to feel horrible. He's like, I, I haven't pooped in four. Yeah. He's, I've got veins in my abs. I look good. It's like, and then he's like, I haven't pooped in three days. Yeah, you're not really eating a lot of stuff that you will poop out. So you just got to have to wait and we'll get that out when the carbs come back in really high. Can I tell you a really funny poo story, Luke? Yes. Um, so when I was dieting for this photo shoot that I did earlier this year, I am like the most consistent pooper ever. No problems in that department, like poop queen. But I think, what was it, like a few days out of the photo shoot it just stopped and I was yeah, like maybe like a week you had some disturbance to your schedule yeah I had like you can set your watch by my pooping and it just it just wasn't happening for me I was like what is going on and I was feeling like bloated and you don't want to be bloated for a photo shoot right you want to be yeah. feeling lean I would never normally take uh, like a laxative or anything like that but I was like this has to pass before the photo shoot and so I don't want to be on the pooper while Dean's in the house. Anyways, Dean left for an hour to do whatever. I was like, this is my chance. It's time to take a laxative. Because, oh. you know, I'm home alone. I can do whatever I want. She make as um, much noise as she needs to. <laughs> and so I take it and I'm sitting on the couch like, <laughs> anytime now. <laughs> Come on, Bows, you got this. And yeah, it still wasn't happening. And I messaged Dean, told him what I did. And I was like, it's not really working. And he said something like, are you sure you took the right thing? And I went and checked. And it said, for relief of diarrhea. She took the wrong one. Uh, I, took uh, something to, <laughs> I, I took something to make it harder for me to poop. Yeah. Um, oh, not good. 
Yeah. Yeah, I but know. thankfully, uh, About- I, I had said to her, I said, this is pretty common, you know, like, one, you've got some stress. She'd never done a photo shoot like before, so she was food anxious down. about it. Food volume was a bit, you know, skewed from all that sort of shit. Yeah. And um, and yeah, I said it'll probably happen the morning of when you relax. You know, like don't worry about yeah. it. So it got. But anyway, to- she still took like a softener just in case. Yeah. And then yeah, it got to the. Well, shoot. what I wanted was like the most aggressive laxative that I could find, but I could only find these like fucking forty-eight hour softeners. I was like, what is this? Please, please tell me you pooed yourself. Please tell me. <laughs> no, no, it got it got to the day of the photo shoot. I was like, whatever, we're here. It's like, you know, I had gone a little, but I was still feeling bloated or whatever. And it got like half an hour into the shoot. And I think like I felt relaxed, which I was not expecting at all. And I said like, hey, please excuse me. And it happened and it was magical and it was a great shoot. Uh, (laughs) There's there's nothing better than a magical shit where you just sit (laughs) especially when it all comes out in one piece and it just keeps coming out. And you're like, oh my God, oh my God, it's been like two minutes and it's still coming out yes <laughs> bristol still chart three like, is that touching at either end <laughs> yeah it's like when it's all the way in the back and it's still connected to you that's amazing <laughs> yeah was that's, it- why, that's why they have those toilets in europe with the water that goes all the way to the front yeah have you noticed european toilets have like the hole at the front not the back no not all of them they have those toilets mm. are fucking gross man <laughs> they have the hole at the front and then they have a small bed of water Mm. And I'm like, you're pooping into a small bed of water that doesn't cover the poop ever. And then, and then it gets dragged on a flat surface all the way down to the hole. And it's like, this is just a mess. It's like, it's just, it's super low flow toilets. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I miss the American ones where you basically flush like 10 liters of water every time you hit the thing. Um, and there's no half flush either. American yeah yeah well, who wants that who wants a fucking that's like going and getting a coffee like do you want a small no I don't want a fucking small I and mean, look at me do I look like decaf. a small or do you want a small wine no I don't <laughs> want a small wine can you put it in a put it in like a big beer stein just pour the whole thing in just put a straw um, in the decanter yeah. <laughs> one one thing I find I don't know if you guys because you guys have been to Europe you've been to America you've been all these places I find that Australian and New Zealand toilets are sticky do you know what I mean like Every time I poo in a toilet here, I always have to scrub the toilet. But if I go back home, I never have to do that. There's something about the the ceramic or porcelain that you guys are using that it just sticks. And I cannot figure out what it is. I haven't noticed it. I don't know, but I'm just team Japanese toilet shoot you in the bum. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Like when we we settle on our forever home, I'm paying whatever money is required to get a good one of those. I want ones that you can press buttons and it makes noises for you which I experienced at a Japanese convenience store. I, um, oh. don't, I, I can't write in Japanese. I don't understand their symbols. But there was all of these buttons and it had the little sound emoji and then, I don't know, so I was like, oh, it, ha- it had a flushing thing on it. And so I thought, okay, this is the button that you press to flush the toilet. And I pressed it and I heard the toilet flush, but the toilet paper was just sitting there still. And I thought at this moment, I'm going crazy. I can hear the toilet flush. I pressed the flush button. But nothing flushed. Turns out there was just like sound effects you could make from the toilet. So I made the flushing sound effect. Um, oh. I don't know what the use is, but I want that in my forever home. It's toilet. confusing because, <laughs> like, they you can put music on so they can't hear the damage that's being done, right? So, like, if you're in a that's public cool. toilet and you want to put some music on, you can put some music on. But like, if you press the flush button, isn't that just 
letting the person know who's potentially waiting for you that you're done. And they're like, yeah, awesome. I don't have to hold on for much longer. And you're just fucking with them. I, I was like, confused. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's weird. Oh, yeah. yeah. But that's like Japan, Japanese. I feel like Japanese people always put, they over-functionalize everything. There's way too many doohickeys and shit. So it's like you flush the toilet and the toilet goes, domo arigato. And you're like, oh, mm. you're welcome. Thank you. You know, it's just, it's, or like you hit a button and it just, it wipes you like a little brush, bristle brush comes out and just goes, and it's like a car wash on your butthole. And just gets you super clean. Why is that not a thing? That should I'm be a thing. I'm perfume your butt, actually. Now you say that, imagine yeah. like first it's water, then it's hot air, then it's perfume. You should make it a thing, Luke. Um, but That'd while we're on the subject of pee, what's been pissing you off lately, Luke, in the industry? Oh, fuck! What's not pissing me off? <laughs> uh, oh, let's get a let's get a list. Yeah, that the the whole diet thing that oh, I can't. I got, I need to be able to get lean on a lot of calories, and you know, I don't want to go to low calories. It ruins my metabolism. Cool. Don't don't try to get leaner than the human body wants to get. You know, that's pretty easy. Um, another one is people trying to do excessive amounts of work so they can eat more. Um, that's a big one now. And, and, and then, you know, there's the, the research has come out on compensations of, uh, of activity. And now you got people arguing about that because people are always going to argue. Um, but one of the things that, that I think people are getting wrong is when you're looking at like getting lean, it's much easier to just take some calories out than it is to do it extra work. It's, it's better from a logistics standpoint. It's better from a recovery standpoint. And so I, I find that people are doing way too much work in order to try to keep their calories high. And they don't understand that the more work you do when you're dieting, getting leaner, the less recoverability you have. So you're going to fall into this compensation issue where you're doing more work and it's actually having a negative effect on your body composition. It's having a negative effect on your mood and it's going to crash you out faster than if you would just do less work and pull the calories out. Um, a lot of people, they're, they're not looking at as well, the, how should I train when I'm in a deep deficit? Mm. You probably want to just go in, hit a couple of really gnarly sets on a few exercises and go home. This isn't a time where you want to go and try to do you know, 50 fucking sets when you're eating at a 40, 50% deficit and think you're going to feel good after that. Um, oh, what else? Oh, uh, just so, to so unpack yeah, that one. I was going to say, we're talking like constrained model versus added model here and yeah how much how much is too much or how much is too little then do you think on the too much output versus the too little input and i understand this is going to require some context so but yeah yeah massive context and, and it's everybody's in of one so it depends like it depends age what's your age what's your training is how strong are you you know um what's the other variables are you doing a lot of are you of the uh old bodybuilder bro mentality of just pumping the sets or are you doing dedicated long eccentrics because one of those is going to create tension one of them is going to create tension but also muscle damage and i feel like if you're if you're removing food you're better off just focusing on getting a good amount of concentric tension and not focusing on what's going to break the muscle down because you just don't have the energy availability to repair that effectively um, so it's, you know, instead of doing more and eating more, we think about how, what's the minimal effective dose I need in a fat loss phase. Now, cool. What's the deficit I need to then actually lose fat and, and it's, and use more of a reductionist model on things instead of using an additive model. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if you can unpack, um, your idea of least mode here, because I think a lot of people who are listening to this podcast, they, they really want 
to reach mm. their physique goals and, and they're willing to work hard and they're willing to sacrifice. And to some people that might mean more is better indefinitely. The more is not better. Um, and I, I think like you've, you've unpacked this a little bit here, but it might be a good time to explain least mode. Yeah. And that's, it's a, it's a, almost a, almost an impossible concept to, to talk about because it, it's different in different situations, right? So if we're looking at a client first coming in, okay, now keep in mind that a lot of this stuff is written initially for gen pop, but it's also applicable for athletes as well, because our metrics are our metrics. If you have high blood pressure, if you have high resting heart rate, if your HRV is low and you've got a lot of systemic stress, your recoverability is low, if, you, if your basal temperature is low, your sleep's fucked up, not a great time for you to go in and beast yourself out in the gym. Uh, very good time to work on lowest effective dose. Go in the gym, get what you need done and focus on recoverability more and possibly add in, skew some of the resistance training, the things that are probably going to be better from a central nervous system issue and not so stimulatory to the nervous system. So, you know, maybe limiting some of the eccentric muscle damage or muscle da damage altogether, limit high threshold stuff and going like full stop all the time, especially if you have really high blood pressure. We were looking into, because um, I'm, I'm creating a hypertension heart disease course right now. And we were looking at some of the recommendations like from the Mayo Clinic, from the Cooper Institute, and they were doing studies on the leg press. Like if you want to get your blood pressure to get really high, get on the leg press and perform a Vizal maneuver and go hard. Your systolic blood pressure can go up to 400 and something, your diastolic over 300. Now, if, you're, if your blood pressure is good and you've got good dilation of the vessels, you're probably okay, like because the, the exposure to that is not going to be that much. But if you're walking into the gym and I've seen guys at 210 systolic over 100 diastolic, if you're already that high and you go do a shit ton of Vizalva maneuver and you create a lot of vascular pressure, imagine how much damage you're doing to the endothelial lining. And then the body's going to going to resort to cranking up LDL, lowering HDL, trying to, trying to fix that. You start getting placking and cool. You're big and strong and lean and you've got a great leg press and squat. And then you have a heart attack a few years later. Oh. So the first, yeah, the first, the first kind of concept, the least mode is take an assessment of your metrics and then work on the things that are going to fix the metrics and get you healthy first so that you can get ready to actually start a prep. So if you want to get stronger in your powerlifter and you've got stage two hypertension, let's take care of that. Let's take care of your massive amount of blood glucose. Um, let's take care of all of that stuff that's going to get your body physiologically ready to then go through a really hard prep because it's not going to get better through the prep. So you want to be at a really good starting position before you go into that. Um, like I've got... Um, uh, powerlifter buddy that we're all buddies with um, his fasting blood sugar was sitting at 12 and he was taking um, I can't remember what the new version of Lantus is It's a different company he's taking Lantus and he was taking a short-term short-acting um, insulin and his blood his blood sugar was still sitting at like 12 in the morning which is crazy oh. it, blood pressure was sitting at 150 over 90 something I think and he was taking antihypertensive so he called me, goes, how do I fix this? Cool. Let's try to fix it and get you off everything we can. So now his blood sugar is averaging, you know, in the fives, mid five. Sometimes he goes up around six. That's fine. His blood pressures dropped down about 130 over 77. And that was off medication. So 
And this is a big, strong dude. It's one of the strongest powerlifters in all of Australia. And so uh, a lot of that was, you know, eating too much, eating about 2,500 2, calories more than he needed to maintain his body weight, um, not taking uh, cardiovascular respiratory training um, as seriously as he should, lots of comp, comp prep. So we've now, I don't train him. I just work on you know, some nutritional guidance and health stuff and the cardiovascular stuff. Um, but we've, I've gotten his coach has now changed a lot of his really high threshold stuff to more metabolic style bodybuilder bro work. So he's not crashing his like, overstimulating sympathetic drive all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's working beautifully. These, these guys seem to think that being a strength athlete, you're just, your destiny is to have stage two hypertension and, and taking all the drugs, especially things like growth hormone, you're just destined to have to take insulin because your blood sugar is going to be high. That is not the case. It's only the case because they're still doing stuff the way we've always done it, which is don't worry about your conditioning. Don't worry about that. It's going to make you weaker. And that's not the case whatsoever. Yeah. Oh. People need to listen to the cardio for meatheads episode we did with you. If they think mm. it's the case. Absolutely. This metaphor yeah. that I'm conjuring up in my mind is like somebody who wants to enter a car race, their car's falling apart, which is a metaphor for their body. The race is a metaphor mm. for comp prep. You can't expect to do well in this car race with a shitty car. You need to get all those things repaired first, make sure everything's up to scratch, and then you're likely to stand a chance in the race. Mm. And I guess yeah. it's the same with, with trying to get the physique of your dreams as well. If you're starting with a machine that's falling apart already, good luck with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm a big car guy. Um, so <laughs> uh, cars and computers, that's my thing. So I can relate that really well to physical performance and metabolism. So what I'll usually say is, you know, if, if we're going to, if we're going to buy a race car and let's say we don't have a lot of money, so we have to buy a race car, it's got some flats, the suspension is out of alignment. Um, it's running, maybe it's running lean or rich and it's not, it's not really spark plugs need to be changed out. We probably want to fix all that stuff before we go to the racetrack. And then we need to fix it in a GPP phase to get it, to get the car healthy enough to make faster. And then if we relate that to, you know, I might need to do some physio stuff. I might need to do some stretchy stuff. I might need to think outside of the box of exercise selection to fix the suspension, so that it holds up well under heavy loads or heavy sprinting or lots of bodybuilder training volume. Um, if I look at cardiovascular system, if I look at how we oxidize things, if you're not oxidizing well, you're not going to have a lot of great energy. Food is just not going to go where it needs to go. And that the residual effect of that is stress can drive oxidation down the wrong paths. Um, or poor oxidation because of nutrient deficiencies or whatever can also increase stress. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Now, if you want to make a car fast, what's the easiest way to make a car fast? Put a bigger engine in. You could put a bigger engine in it. That's one way. Now, what if, uh, what if it's 10 years from now and the Australian government, because they love to ban everything that's fun, no oh. one can have big block engines anymore. We can only have four-cylinder engines. So how do we make that fast? We need more oxygen and we need a bigger spark and we need more fuel. So we need bigger fuel injectors. We need to put a, a supercharger or turbo on it. And, uh, and we need to increase the, the basically the combustion. So we need bigger spark plugs, right? That's how you get it. That's the same way we do it in the mitochondria. How do I, how do I process more energy? Great, better, healthier mitochondria, feed the mitochondria things that it needs like CoQ10, okay? What do I do then? Breathe better. How do I breathe better? Take care of my diaphragm, take care of where my ribs are rotated, 
do my cardio so I have plenty of available uh, red blood cells and hemoglobin to take oxygen from the environment to the cells. Build those aerobic enzymes so you can actually use that oxygen effectively. Then put in fuel, so at, eat a lot of food. So it's pretty much the same thing. It's just one's, one's biological machine and one's a, a regular machine, right? Mm. But people want to skip all that prep work and they just want to go straight to specific training when they're limping around and they can't squat and they squat and they're rotating and shifting off to the side. And they're like, I'll just work around it, you know, or <laughs> I'll just, I'll just use lighter weight and go down. It's like, that's not really going to, it may fix stuff for you, but realistically we need to see why is the joint out of alignment and how do we fix that? Mm -hmm. So we can work around it, but we also might need to do things to pull that in alignment, get the suspension good. Um, and now cool. Now you can perform. Yeah. Mm. Fixing things and doing it the right way. A lot of people think that's the slow way. They do want to skip the steps because they want to get there like yesterday. But I don't ever see that like the fast way as being the fast way at all because you're never going to get there. You've, you've well, got a, all these issues acutely, with the car. Yeah, it's acutely the slow way. Yeah, like I see the right way or the slow way as being the fastest way because it is the only way, really. Yeah, yeah like I kind of liken this in a simple, like even outside of prep because I have a... COVID has actually been wonderful for me in that it's allowed me to spend longer time periods with the same clients building and periodizing and structuring and setting up. Right. And it's the same, the same, same in prep as it is in the off season. The off season is going to be very stressful because like you said, there's more food, there's more body weight, there's more training, there's more volume, there's more stress. Like it adds up and all of a sudden their system shits the bed. So like we're having a, I'm spending a lot of time saying to people like, Hey, we need to take it longer, lower, slower to take Broderick's term and uh and set yourself up for the long term and if you don't do this now then that means your growth phase is only going to be 12 weeks instead of 24 weeks you know yeah. so like having that sort of myopic view of oh but if i only do this work for four if i do this work for four weeks it's four weeks that i can't be doing x i'm like yeah but it's going to gain you eight weeks of the work that you actually want to do mm. so acutely yeah. i think it's true but then long term it always fucks them up mm. And you get those, you get those issues on both sides of that. I, I want to build muscle and I want to get bigger and get stronger. So I'll just keep hammering more food and then your weight stops. I'll hammer more food, weight stops. I can't, and then you, you wake up, you know, six months later and you, you actually, for the first time, look at yourself in the mirror. Like you look great in clothes. You take your shirt off, look at yourself in the mirror. You look like a fucking melted candle. It's like, mm. oh, I took that too far. It's in, it, on the other side, people diet too quickly and they, they, kill all this precious muscle that they've spent a long time putting on. So people need to understand that kind of that homeostatic level of, I just need to drive the imbalance enough to move in the right direction and trying to make it go faster is not really going to be that conducive. If I want to go faster on gaining weight, cool, be a big boy and take some gear. Like if you want, but you're not going to make it fast. And even gear is limited on how fast it's going to, it's going to, it's going to accelerate things, but it's not fucking Harry Potter magic. It's going to be very helpful, but you still have to do the things and you still have to play in those rules. Your, your range of rules might just be a little bit broader if you're on PEDs than somebody who's natural. Natural people don't have the luxury of pushing it as far as somebody that's on gear, has the metabolic effects of gear, has the protein synthesis effects of gear, the lipolysis effects of gear, the mental and, and strength potential of gear. But then gear can be a, a double-edged sword too, because you, certain things start cranking up sympathetic drive and you're trying to gain weight, but your sympathetic system is trying to break shit down while you're taking things to build shit up. And so you, every, all these systems start trying to fight each other. But mm -hmm. I think if people would take a long game approach, which is old school bodybuilding, 
old school bodybuilding before it got super trendy, guys would train for five or six years, enter your first show. Nowadays, somebody walks in, they've never trained before and they go, oh, that looks fun. I'll put a bikini and get up there. Six weeks later, they try to put themselves on stage and now they're all fucked up because they try to rush it or they, they, they look terrible when they get on stage. Like you, you shouldn't have gotten up there. That was, that was not, not a good idea, but no one has any patience anymore. It's crazy to me. Yeah, it is true. Do you have any, like, um, I suppose, like biofeedback markers or metrics that you look to as proxies for like being ready, for example, for a growth phase versus a, a fat loss phase, you mentioned HRV and blood pressure and blood glucose and those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. So I will, I tend to try to keep blood glucose in some type of normal range. If you're pushing it and you're, and you're trying to grow the stress of training, people don't normally look at gaining muscle as stress, but it is stress. I think people, people need to understand from an evolutionary perspective, adding gobs and gobs of muscle and training with weights is not normal. Our bodies don't really like that. Like you, our bodies want to gain a, a certain amount of muscle that you would get with just normal human movement. Once you start adding an artificial stimulus, like squatting, deadlifting, extra protein, extra food, um, you're, you're trying to get your body to do something it's not really designed to do. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you have to accept that there's going to be certain consequences. And if you keep pushing that too far without getting the body back to a normal level, getting bigger and bigger is, is just going to create more systemic inflammation, more insulin resistance, and then you freak out and you try to starve it all off. But um, I would say if we're looking at you know blood sugar ranges. I, I would love for people to be somewhere around four point five to four point eight at the at before they start some type of long bulk. So if, if I can get your body weight stable and you've got at least under five, then I got a range like five. Maybe if you hit six six point three at the end of that cycle, I'm pretty cool with that. If you're heading to six point eight seven eight we're probably pushing the calories and the carbs a little bit high. We might need to exchange some of that with some protein and, and maybe bring the carbs down and just accept that you're only going to put on maybe 80, 90, hundred grams of actual dry muscle per week. Let's, let's focus on six kilos a year, a year of actual muscle, not trying to focus on putting 12 or 13 kilos of muscle on. Um, and obviously that would be looking at more natural and kind of their first, first year, year and a half of training. And then if we go to adding gear on, just accepting that, yeah, you, you might be able to put on, I don't know, 180, 250 grams of lean tissue until the gear stops working because you, and you got to increase the gear. You have to figure something else out, but calories, total calories are never a good thing to focus too much on in bulking. You want to focus on sufficient protein, doing sufficient work to stimulate it and eating just enough to slowly move the dial in the right direction. As once you overdo that, you can't drive this stuff any faster than you already are. So you're getting bulky, but it's not the bulk you're looking for. You're just putting on a, a, an unacceptable rate of protein to fat and that you just have to diet off anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a huge misappropriation of like the concept of like, if you pull X amount of calories, you burn roughly X amount of fat, right? You're in a, you're in a deficit, yeah. therefore you should lose and then they misattribute that then to the gain. And that, oh, if I'm yeah. up 100, I gain 50 grams of muscle. If I go 200, I'll definitely gain 100. If I go 400, that means I can gain 200. It's like, if no, no, only no. it works like that. No, 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 no. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a ceiling to this gain potential of muscle protein, you know? Yeah. Um, so like like you said, like moving that dial, like 100, 200, maybe 300 calories, enough that it, it facilitates recovery. 
and that you can't grow faster. So you have to do the longer, lower approach. Yeah. There's no way around it. No, like muscle gain is fucking, it's, I use this, it's like uh, relentless repetition of the same shit over and over again. It hurts. It's slow. You have to be consistent. There is no way around. There is no easy way. No. Whereas you can speed up fat loss a little bit, right? Mm. it's just like a, it's just a long grind man it's just a long grind it's it's a marathon not a sprint you know bodybuilding is a really long term effort with a lot of dedication willpower and you just you have to want it bad enough you know in order to do that that's why it's taken me so long to get really fucking lean again because i just didn't want it bad enough i still wanted to have support on the weekends i still wanted to ask kfc or whatever you have to get your mental space to the point where you're like, okay, I'm not going to have all this stuff. I'm going to eat better foods and I'm going to hit my workouts and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prioritize sleep. And I, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of boxes you need to tick off if you want to be successful. And if you don't want to do that, cool. Just accept that from a fat loss perspective, we're just going to do a long, slow kind of recompy, try to cut off a couple hundred grams of fat a week. And now you don't have to really track that well, and you can have some treats and stuff. But if you want fast results, you're going to need precision and accuracy. And you're going to have to take that whole anti-diet culture and just throw them out the window. Because if you want it fast, you have to have a systemized protocol and you have to be super diligent at it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the same thing on the other side, you know, a lot of people use that that growing period as a license to just, well, I'm just going to eat a bunch of shit because that's just going to make me grow. It will make you, it's going to make you grow, but you're, all you're doing is trying to get the scale to go up. You're not, you're actually looking worse. You keep getting, looking worse and worse as you put too much body fat on. And, you know, another metric I like to use is where should our body fat percentage be? So like with the guys, I would love to be somewhere probably around 13 to 15, maybe even 12 to 14 before we start a long bulk. If you haven't now come off of a show or, or photo shoot. And I think, you know, go until you get, you start creeping close to 20. We probably want to try to diet some of that back down a little bit. What I've, you know, what, what's the, the P ratio stuff that everybody argues about. I mean, if you take drugs and you take genetics out of it, I see a lot of a lot of association with most people that are natural. Once they start hitting about 18, 19, 20%, they just look worse and worse, and they're not really getting that much benefit anymore. Um, but these guys are arguing those P ratio things. They're throwing in like sumo wrestlers. They're throwing in like NFL linemen. It's like, those are the genetically elite. That has nothing to do with my clients, even though my clients probably think they're genetically elite. And they, you can't talk about bodybuilders because drugs are, are a completely different ball game. Yeah. Do you think that also comes down to like perhaps how far those individuals have shifted or not shifted in the case of the sumo wrestler from that homeostatic set point? You know, like you take an individual who like a sumo wrestler who's constantly sitting around 20 to 30%. What and and they shift up another three or four percent. Body like, fat. Yeah. No body way. Fat. Be no, I'm just saying like they would be high now, but maybe in yeah. their like early childhood, adolescence, they've always been somewhat fatter, and then they get more fat, more fat, more fat, and eventually, when you move up that scale and you set a new set point, that the distance between your set point and shifting up and down probably doesn't have as large of an impact on maybe metrics like blood sugar, LDL, HDLs, cardiorespiratory sort of output, all that kind of stuff. Whereas you get an individual who's ten percent, you double that body fat up into the twenties we're now starting to see a negative distribution of fatty fat, fat tissue versus muscle tissue or what would you attribute it to? 
Man, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of things we got to think about where some people might be genetically more tolerant to inflammation and, and uh, inflammation stimulated issues that you get into where, you know, you could have people, we all hear about this. Can you be fat and healthy? Can you be fat and fit? And I think most of the literature that comes out is you can't be, you can be fat and fit, but you probably can't be fat and healthy. But there's always those that 10 to 15% outliers that, well, look at that guy. He's 40% body fat. And he's fit as shit. Yeah, that's an NFL lineman. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I was, I actually played football with him and he was a man child at like 14. He was already a fucking man. Um, so I think probably with the things like looking at sumo, it's the same thing. It's elite level athletics, even though Jim pop wouldn't understand this. If he went, oh, it's just fat. It's like, no, that dude's fat and he's strong and he's got a crazy amount of muscle, but they're hand selected for that. Mm. It's just like, it's just like any other sport. If I wanted to be a hundred meter sprinter, it ain't going to happen. And it's not just because I'm not black. It's because I don't have the, I don't, I'm not built for it. You know, um, you have to be built for certain things and you usually go towards that in your youth and then your hand selected. And then you kind of go crazy on that, but you still have to be in that 5% genetic leak for a lot of the other people, you know, genetics can be a real bitch. You either win the genetic lottery or you lose the genetic lottery. So if you're the type of person that wants to be a bodybuilder, but you don't have the genetics for it, you can do a lot just by working hard, but you're always a slave to these polymorphisms that might, you might be a person that overexpresses interleukin-6. You might be a, a person that has BCO1B202 polymorphism, MTFHR. There's all these things that might be at play that doesn't allow you to, I'll say detox for lack of a better word, detoxify some of these stress hormones and keep the liver healthy while it's doing all this other stuff and keep the cells healthy. Some people have more fat cells genetically. Some people have bigger fat cells. Some people have smaller fat cells. So all of that stuff probably plays a huge uh, role in how their body's going to um, going to handle systemic inflammation, you know, basically driving and overactivating mTOR all the time. Mm. Yeah. Subjective question for you, Luke. Um, everyone, well, a lot of people have potential, but even potential takes hard work. What do you think about people who just don't have the genetics, maybe like weird insertions or short limbs or something like that, who just don't have a pretty physique, maybe like a wide rib cage? Do you think that if they're passionate about bodybuilding, they should still pursue it, even though their genetics are holding them back? Or do you think they should choose a different sport? No, I think that you should play, do as well as you can in any sport, no matter how you're built, just, but you just have to accept that I might never be the next Jay Cutler, or I might not be, you know, I might not be, I mean, I, I'd love to deadlift 500 kilos, but I look at like Eddie Hall and uh, Hapthor, it's probably never going to happen for me. Um, but everyone should be, should feel free to do whatever they want in their life. But you also have to be realistic with how far you're going to be able to take it um, and just say, okay, you know, I'm probably not suited for this. Or I've had people that came to me, they're suited for powerlifting, but they want to bodybuild. I'm like, that's fine. Like you're built really well for power and strength. You don't really have the bone structure to look really good on stage, but you'll look better than a lot of people. You just won't look better than the top people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, and I never try to talk them out of that. I mean, I have clients that former powerlifters that want to be fucking marathon runners. And I'm like, hmm, you're not really built for it. You got tiny little legs. Um, but you know, if you have the, 
motivation to do it and you'll work hard, you could, you could probably get well above average. You're just never going to be excellent at that. Mm. Do you find those conversations hard to have with people? Those like hard truths? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think it is because you don't want to disappoint somebody or talk them out of things, but I'm always of the opinion that honesty is the best policy, even if it hurts. Like I'm never going to be, uh, I'm never going to win the Boston marathon. I'll, I'll go out for a run, but I'm not kidding myself. You know, um, when I was powerlifting, I probably did have the potential to be one of the top in the world. I just, I just stopped because I just got tired of all the, the uh, supportive gear that people were using. No one was doing raw back then bodybuilding. I could have been good, but not excellent. So I already know all that stuff, right? I've got huge bones. I don't have the joints for it. Um, I'd have to get, uh, I'd have to be one of those guys. that's like fucking 325 pounds in the off season to try to get on stage at like 270. You know, it's, it's just not, and it just wouldn't be a pretty physique. So even though it might hurt somebody to hear that, I feel that it's better to just go ahead and tell them that than to pump them up and get their hopes up. And then they get on stage and people are like, you shouldn't be up there. Like, oh. Yeah. Plus, if they have the, on the off chance that they prove you wrong, it's always kind of nice anyway. Yeah. 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 I, I had a guy I mean, do it to me a couple of preps ago. I said, oh, you're way too far off the mark for what I would like. But what, his body fat or his? Body fat by a mile. And he oh, said, okay. yeah, I do this every time. I can do it. Don't worry. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not comfortable with the rate of mm. what it's necessary to do that, right? Anyway, he, uh, he went to another coach and he got fucking peeled in 16 weeks i think he lost i think he lost near on nearly 30 kilos like he doubled down like we're talking yeah like and he came he came first in his division and second in the overalls i think i bet he was like no no we spoke and i said man you look good and i'm like you look familiar to me he goes yeah i inquired i was like get the fuck out you that's you and he's like yep i'm like man more power to you congratulations for proving me wrong yeah but you know what Um, he's done it better though that's the argument in what way Oh, well, if he wasn't so fat, you know, and how much muscle did he have to lose okay. to, to lose two kilos per week? And yeah. like, what's the cost of his health? And like all his, of these and things. And the cost of his relationship. Yeah. All of these things still, still, still exist. You mm. know? It's just that the result, if we, if we take away what's necessary to do what he did, the yeah. A to the B was incredible. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that just goes to show uh, the high level of moral compass that you guys have, because I, I, I've had people come in and I've had girls come in and say, I want to get on stage in three months. I'm like, you're 34% body fat. Like we could do it, but I don't feel comfortable with it. Why don't we set one out for like six to eight months? And, you know, people shouldn't be coming in and picking a show. They should pick the show when their body's close to getting ready to prep. You shouldn't just be like, Hey, I just came off a bulk and I'm 35% body fat. Yeah, there's a show in eight weeks. Like you can do it, but what are the health consequences to doing that? And what are the psychological consequences to doing that? Um, Because you could, doesn't mean you should. Yeah. I mean, when I was still actively training bodybuilders, I lost a lot of people because I wasn't, I've never been a heavy drug user and I don't believe in it. I believe in using the least amount of stuff you need to do and work on the other stuff that's more important and just use the drugs as icing on the cake. Just a little bit of sprinkle. The, the drug shouldn't be the fucking base of the cake. Um, it should be there to support everything else. Just like, just like taking a multivitamin. Um, and I, I would tell people, they go, how much should I take? I go, well, look, let's just try, you know, let's just try 300 milligrams of test a week and let's just see what it does. Cause you can always add more guy would gain like three kilos in a couple of weeks. And what should we do now? Okay. Well, yeah. Well, let's just take it to 500 and see what happens. And he, they go, well, my buddy said that I should be on Anadrol and I should be on Halitestin and I should be on this, this, this. I'm like, 
but you've already put on three and a half, four kilos in four or five weeks. Like, why would you want to, why add more shit than you need? It's more health issues, more side effects, more, um, more cost, like use the least amount of shit. And I would lose people to other IPB pros because they're like, well, he's willing to give me everything. And then they'd get fucked up and they'd call me. Can you sort me back out? And I go, cool. Send me what you're on. And then I'd go, okay, make me a new list with what you're not on. Because that's going to be easier for me to go over. Far out. Yeah. Um, that's such a tough one because as coaches, we need to be able to, well, maybe I don't really mean that. I was going to say we need to be able to give people what they want. It's more like what we believe is optimal might not be what the client is willing to do. So sometimes it's a bit of a dance between mm. yeah, what the client will accept and what we know is best for them. It's also, uh, you know, needs versus want. So I, a few years ago, I came up with kind of a, a flow of GPP versus SPP for general populations. Well, you know, you, you, you guys said something about periodization earlier and what pisses me off. I get really pissed off when people go, you don't need periodization for general population. Oh, you don't need a plan? Okay. We're just going to do random shit. Cool. Very professional. That sounds like a person uh, training to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, so you're just a rep counter. You don't actually coach. Excellent. Um, but I forgot where I was going with that. We GPP uh, for Gen Pop. What's that? There's GPP for Gen Pop. The GPP. Out. So I started thinking about, look, your client has a goal, specific thing they want. Sometimes that doesn't line up with what they need right now. So you, you kind of have to look at, you know, your metrics are fucked up. You're in pain or you're not in pain, but you look like you're headed towards that. You can't really do a lot of these movements that I need you to do without ma massive compensation and you can get away with it now, but eventually your body's going to run out of room to compensate. So let's get all that stuff fixed. So I'm going to give you a little bit of what you need. You want to lose fat? Cool. We can do a small deficit and then get this other shit sorted. And then we'll move into a specific physical preparation for fat loss. Okay. You want to get big and strong? Cool. Let's fix your shoulder and your hip first and let's get all your metrics good. And then we'll go in a specific phase of dialing in. So we can, we, even if you give them that GPP phase and give them what they need, you're still moving them towards what they want. You're just not, that's just not the main focus of things. And I think that people need to really think about prepping the prep and getting people ready for the big, hairy, audacious goals that they're looking for, instead of just diving headfirst in the shallow water and not dipping your toe in initially. Mm -hmm. But a lot of coaches aren't willing to do that. And a lot of clients don't want to hear that because a lot of the coaches, I, I would say, probably 5% of us out there that actually have a high moral compass and we're willing to do what's right. Even if it means the client doesn't want to train with us, but there's another 95% of coaches go, yep, you want that? Cool. We'll do that. And they just don't give a fuck. They just want that money. I wish I could disagree with you. I really do. Yeah. I wonder, do you think it's also because a lot of uh, let's, let's air quote coaches then. Um, Cause I think coach coaches, whereas like you said, personal, some, some trainers may just be rep counters is that individuals fear their own lack of knowledge to be able to do two things at once. Like you've mentioned, like we can actually take a little bit from here, put a little bit there and then give the client some, an opportunity for informed consent to do some of it, mm. but not all of it because they understand yeah. principally how to manage all of those systems at once. And they also know how to plan. I think, yeah, I think that, I think there's a couple of things there. Number one, their knowledge is lacking in how to put the pieces of the puzzle together and they don't want to admit it. So they just give everybody the same shit mm. uh, or, Another big one I see is co coaches or personal trainers will take on clients that they have no idea how to actually get them where they need to be. 
Like I'll have people call me for a consult and go, Hey, here's my client. What do I do? How many, how many shows have you actually done? How many times have you been on stage? I've never been on stage. How many bodybuilders have you put on stage? None. Why the fuck would you ever take a client for some type of endeavor that you have no idea what to do? Well, that's why I'm calling you to find out. I'm like, No, no, no. You should have passed this person off. And then maybe you, you ask the person you passed them off to, can I shadow you and learn while you do this? Cool. Now you can actually figure out how to do this stuff. But a lot of guys, just they'll just take clients for no reason. Somebody comes to me, uh, I'm a, a professional cricket player. I'd be like, yep, nah. I got a buddy in, in New Zealand It's a that was a cricket pro. I'll send you to him. He's a coach as well. I ain't touching it. I had no idea anything about that sport. So, um, but I, I think a lot of it's still big money grab for people, big money grab. And, and a, a lot of guys, they get to cert three, four and they think, or, or they get their exercise phys degree and they think they know everything. So they just go out and start training people. And they, you know, both of those things, exercise phys degree, great. Gets you really, really, in a really good place to start your real education, especially if you've never, if you don't have enough experience under the bar. I know a lot of exercise physios couldn't even tell you how to do a fucking Romanian deadlift. Like they don't know how to do exercises. They don't know how to sequence things. Um, and I know guys with zero formal education that could put you on a VO2 max machine and fucking, and, and actually know how to, how to operate the machinery because they've studied it. But um People definitely these days aren't putting enough in their education. I see a, a big gap there. Whereas when I first started 20 something years ago, we spent all of our money on education and you didn't have the internet like it is now. You'd have to get on a plane and you have to fly to Europe to learn from this guy. You'd have to fly across the country and learn from this guy. No one wants to do that anymore. They don't want to spend money to, to get better at their craft. Where, where do you rank that? I've had this, uh, I try to come up with this sort of, I don't know, like one sentence around like, spend less money on education and more on knowledge or something like that. I can't remember what I tried to come up with, but where do you stand on um, like formal education and the necessity for like, say, becoming certified in our industry versus uh, what would you call it? Doing un unaccredited. Yeah, unaccredited coursework yeah. where the, the actual knowledge you obtain is phenomenal, but yeah. it's not recognized legally. Formally. Or yeah. formally, yeah. Formally. Well, I think, you know, getting a degree is a good thing to do or getting your cert three, four. I mean, you have to have it to work, but you shouldn't stop there. And even if something's not accredited, um, once you at least you once you have the credentials that actually work, if you shouldn't worry about if something's accredited or not. You should find out who's the best at certain things and learn from those people, no matter if you get CSCs for it or not. Like none of my shit's CSC. It's a pain in the ass to do it. And then they dictate what you get to teach. So I'm not willing to do that. So we lose students all the time because like, well, I don't get any CECs or CEUs. I'm like, yeah, cool. But I'm going to teach you how to make a lot of money getting really good results. That's probably more important. Um, but these days, there's a lot of people who just simply won't do um, won't do any education at all. Or they do silly shit like TRX certifications and BOSU ball certifications. Like, but you get CECs. And then, or, or what's that? You get CECs for BOSU bullshit. Yeah. Or they'll do, <laughs> you know, they'll do some weird weird like they'll do a kettlebell specific certification they get really crazy about kettlebells and they get really weird about sh about how to train like dude it's just a tool like that's cool you did that certification but don't forget like barbells and dumbbells and machines and cables and all this other shit um but yeah i i highly value education i still spend a crazy amount of money on education um i mean and since covid i've done 
two FRC courses. I've recertified my fascial stretch therapy stuff. I've done some massage stuff. I've done extra, not CEU type massage stuff, but very specific things on like quadratus lumborum and fucking iliacus, like all this other stuff. Not that I'm actually going to use that for my, like my hands on therapy stuff, but it gives me a deeper understanding of how these muscles work. So that when I'm trying to fix somebody's lower back with exercise, I'm like, okay, you probably shouldn't do this. And when you do that, you probably should do that. But if you don't, if you don't spend time learning from people who know this stuff better than you, you're never getting any better. You're just leaning on the very basic shit that you learned in cert three, four, which is not enough to prepare you to actually solve people's problems. Or if you get an exercise phys degree, cool. You know, all this physiotherapy stuff, physio stuff, you know, how you know, some, some things work, but that might not work the way you think it does when you put somebody under a 250 kilo back squat. Um, so there's a, there's a real need for, you know, accreditation and then taking unaccredited things as long as they're valuable and from people who know what they're doing and also getting under the bar and, uh, and, and learning what it feels like when you've got 250 on your back. Cause yeah. a lot of guys don't know what that feels like. Yeah. Having experience is super important, uh, as well as knowing the theory, I think. For sure. Yeah. I think uh, the, the line was, yeah, it was like, um, since I don't want to fuck it up, it was, yeah, spend the least amount of certification and the most on education, like that kind of concept, because like I value education more than I value someone's piece of paper, but I also appreciate that the piece of paper is necessary. Mm. Yeah. And that's yeah. the hard thing here is, you know, you could have an individual, like you said, that literally just has to cert three and four, but out coaches the person who's got all the degrees that are recognized formally you know and it's it's a a really tough one because i'm like on the fence of whether or not we need more certification in our industry to try and eradicate the shit people Mm. but then i also appreciate that not everyone that there's some extremely smart people out there that don't have Mm. really any certification what's funny that some of the most brilliant people i know have zero following on instagram like, or, mm. or any social media and no one even knows who the fuck they're. I'm like, Hey, you should go learn from this guy. Like, who the fuck is that? I'm like, are you, you don't know who that is. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. Um, but, and even, even like I, there's a reason I called my gym Institute of physical culture. I'm a big fan of old school way of doing things, Deronda things, you know, all that stuff that they did back then. Uh, these young coaches have no idea who that is. They have no idea who that is. You Franco Colombo, no clue. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I know Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm like, okay, Let, let's go through all these other, they have no idea, no idea about the history of things and how they used to be done. Um, I think learning more about the history is a really good idea. And then looking at education, how should that be done? I feel like you should streamline your education, find someone who resonates with you, who you like the style of teaching that teaches towards your demographic and spend as much time with them before you try to go somewhere else. Because I know people with 25, 30 sheets of paper, nice frames on their wall. You ask them about those systems, they couldn't tell you a single fucking thing. They showed up, got the paper, still have no idea about that. So it's all these certification sluts that they're just getting, they're doing education to kind of peacock around and go, well, I've got fucking 25 letters after my name. Yeah, but you don't know anything about any of those letters. So what's the point? Yeah. For people listening that are like CE, what CEC is continuing educational credits. So, so when you do a course, you get, I don't know, two points, 15 points, depending on uh, how big the course is. And you need, is it 20 a year to stay registered uh, with Fitness Australia? Or Yeah. It's been, a, it's been a while since I've been a PT. How many points so, for giving the top dog a risky? 
Oh, that's at least seven points. <laughs> Depends on your two hands or one. <laughs> He's got to score you at the end on how good it was. Oh, shit. So the CCs are up for grabs, so you can do a real good job. <laughs> um, which is a good place to wrap up, I think, Dean. Uh, well, we're going to ask Luke how on how shit. the tip is how to be less shit at giving wristies. Okay, give us a wrist. Can I tell you a funny wristy story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know how a penis, like the skin moves over the top? Like, okay. Yeah. It's really hard to describe on, uh, just with words. I feel like I need visuals, but no, I don't you can want say, to. Let's say if everybody grabs their forearm yeah. with, with reasonable firmness. The first time I gave a hand job, I thought you needed to rub up and down the skin. I didn't realize you hold on to the skin like a and frictionless, move it up and down. Like a frictionless. Oh, so you, yeah. gave, you gave somebody an Indian rug burn on the dick? Yeah. <laughs> he had oh, to like fuck. stop me and give me a workshop. <laughs> And he's like, no, this is how you do it. You've got to like grip the skin firmly. And like, yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was great. So I'm this probably- is the perfect example of application sometimes matters more yeah. than theory. Like she may have read all the books. But that's so you had a mentorship. See, that the mentorship's worth its weight in gold. Yeah, he helped you skip all the all the shit tips. <laughs> I'm still really scarred though. I still feel like I'm really shit at hand jobs, even though I'm 32. Um well I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let you know you will never touch a man better than he touches himself. It's just impossible. No one knows a dick better than its owner. Yeah. Plus, you can't match the angle. I think the yeah. best way unless you were giving a reach around, and that just feels weird to be hugged while topping that. Yeah, I really like yeah. how the podcast went. Anyway, yeah, less shit um, tip. What are we going to ask Luke for? A less shit tip on... Hand jobs or anything that we spoke about today. If somebody had to walk away just remembering one thing from this podcast about how to be less shit, what might that be? Oh, Jesus. Um, are we talking about wristies or... Whatever you want. Maybe wristies. one of each. Let's go one, one from each category. Can I fill in the how to be less shit with a wristie? Yeah, yeah. Use your mouth. I think is, is the best hand job. I can't, I can't do that though. That's the problem. I'm, not, I'm pretty flexible, but I'm not that flexible. That, okay. I, that's right. not even usable. Well, that was a shit. Um, sorry. Uh, my, my tip for a wrist is it's all about the, the lotion or the soap. Like you want something. Uh, I hate, you know, I hate saying, Hey, throw some parabens in there or phthalates, but it does make it really glide really well. So if you're scared of, of that type of thing on your skin, then, you know, I, 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 I prefer in, like in the shower. So it's easy cleanup. You just stomp it down the drain. Then you lock the door and nobody knows you're doing it. You know, as long as you don't take too long. Um, Would you ever do like, it in front of your dogs? Uh, no, that's, that's weird. I always boot them out. Mm. Yeah. My wife busted me one time. She oh. busted me. We were on a trip. We we're on a road trip. And I thought I was being real sneaky. I thought the doors locked and man, I was going at it. And she, I heard the door open and I'm like, what? So wiener right against the wall. And I'm like, duh, duh, duh. and I heard, God bless my wife. I heard her snicker a little bit. She <laughs> never said a word. Never said a word. Bless her. She never said anything. It was, That's too funny. Oh, what a legend. I don't think I've ever been caught. No. Not that I'm aware of. I mean, someone may have snickered to themselves, but <laughs> but I've never been caught. Yeah. Thank fuck. It's so much you know easier to hide as a girl. But you know what's weird? What's weird is like you would have no problem like getting sexy with your wife and being like just ripping it off. But if you get caught by yourself, for some reason, that's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's true. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, I, my, one of my good mates was caught with his hands down his girlfriend's pants at the time, 
pre-dinner at her parents' house. Oh. Yeah, so he had to sit oh. and have dinner with 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 his with her mum after she'd caught him. <laughs> oh. How old were they? 16. Oh, yeah. 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 And I can't remember. One of the teachers was a one of the parents was a teacher. So you like just to typecast a little bit. You know that he's yeah. getting getting the, the, the dirty look the whole dinner time. Oh, that's really awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, we totally uh, derailed right, you. What about yeah. what about for personal trainers <laughs> or, or coaches alike? Personal, yeah, personal trainers. Don't put don't put your hands down your client's pants. That's one thing. <laughs> probably, probably not do. Don't shit where you eat. That's it. Um <laughs> You know, I, I think for, for coaches, number one, like we said earlier, don't be satisfied with just your cert three, four. Don't be satisfied with your university degree. That's that's such as getting you ready to start. So um, it's it's almost like doing jujitsu. Like you, you go and you get your white belt. And by the time you get your blue, okay, you've actually just started, right? Because the white belt is actually getting you competent enough to even start actually learning jujitsu. Um, it's the same thing. Your cert three and four is your white belt. Your university degree is your white belt. Okay, now, now we're this long haul of lifelong learning. And I think that coaches need to have more of a beginner's mind. And if you're not going to, if you're not going to pay for education, maybe you've got some qualms about that or you think it's unnecessary, at least read a fucking book. Right? And stop, stop reading fucking picture books and see spot run. Stop getting your information off of fucking Instagram and YouTube. There's nothing inherently wrong with, with doing that if you find the right people. But if you watch enough YouTube videos or enough Instagram, it's basically the same people copying each other all the fucking time. And, and a lot of times they're wrong. And so they're all saying the wrong shit because they learned the wrong shit from the dude who's started saying the wrong shit or some wacky ass shit. So pick up a fucking book on if you if you're if you write nutrition and you don't know at least first semester biochemistry pick up a, a biochemistry book and at least learn the basics of how you turn food into usable energy. Figure that stuff out because if you don't understand that, then you're just working on calories in, calories out. If that doesn't work for somebody for some reason, you know, maybe, maybe they need a different type of diet. If maybe they need a higher fat or a higher carb diet or whatever, if you don't understand how that stuff works, you can't figure out where the bottleneck is, you know? Um, how do you know if somebody might, they might not, they might just have a, a B vitamin deficiency and that's fucking things up. You know, if you don't know about exercise metabolism, how are you writing protocols? You can't predict what's going to happen. And so if you understand at least basic biochemistry and biology, it's very easy to match a diet with a person that's going to work, match that with their training. So it's complementary. And then if it doesn't work, it's like, okay, um, your legs are burning like crazy doing nothing. Hey, your lactate threshold must be fucked. Let's work on building VO2 max, building up your lactate threshold, and maybe throwing in some B1 and maybe some other B vitamins so you can actually make acetyl-CoA so that PDH will work. Like, and that saying it that way sounds like it's overly complex, but learning this stuff at that level is not that difficult. It's just tedious and it's just repetition and active recall. Um, but I think the coaches need to get more science, uh, more science literate. And I don't mean evidence-based. Like I fucking hate that word. And I hate that whole concept and that whole crowd. Don't give me evidence-based. Give me evidence-informed. I understand how the biology works. Cool. Now I'm going to look in the literature and see if that makes sense and, and try to try to get rid of my bias and try to see if I'm fucked in the way that I'm thinking. So you should always be challenging your own beliefs and seeing if you're full of shit or if you're on the right path. 
Uh, and that keeps you from falling prey to a lot of bullshit when people say a lot of big words online, but they don't actually know what they're talking about. Mm. Yeah. And actually having an understanding can help you pick apart online who's talking shit and who's not. Mm-hmm. And so then you can start to filter out who you actually follow or who's just trying to sell you detox programs. Because mm. um, I'm like, how you- do you know? Yeah, I, I put up a I put up a meme the other day, and it was like um, a, a mechanic looking at a, a lady's engine, and he goes, "Oh, your transmission's out." She goes, "You're going to need one transmission." She goes, "What's a transmission?" He goes, "Oh, did I say one? You're going to need two transmissions." Right? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like that analogy for sure. Um, all right, would you rather something worth sharing? Oh, sorry, I missed I missed <laughs> the segment. Go on, Dean. Look, we have a something worth sharing segment on here, which is just something that you think is of value to the listeners that you'd like to share. It could be a book, it could be a course, a maybe a blood pressure course. Maybe. Could be a quote, could be anything. Yeah. Anything you think is okay. worth sharing to the to the people that listen. And maybe wow, let me let me think. Let me think. Worth sharing. Oof, worth sharing lately. I've got a good poo story. That won't be any benefit to anybody. You can share um, that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I haven't really said I've only told Zoe this, but um, so I, you guys know, I like to experiment with stuff. I, I don't, I, like I said, I'm not evidence-based. I'm evidence informed. I look at the evidence and I, I, I experiment with things on myself before I teach them. So I am in the middle of an ex- a keto experiment right now to prove to people that a keto is not low protein and not high fat. And you can eat far more carbs on a ketogenic diet and still be in ketosis. So I've been doing a lot of, uh, finger prick for glucose and, and BHVs. Then I've been upping my, my uh, carbs and keeping my fat fairly low. And then I'm still hitting 1.4 BHVs because there's a lot of other things with ketosis that matters. Your personal physiological state, how well you oxidize lipids, um, what your training volume is. There's a lot of other stuff to go into it because I'm so sick of hearing people say that keto is this, keto is that. Depends. Uh, there's a lot of nuance of what how you can be in ketosis on way more carbs than you think. So, so that's just kind of giving you an idea of what I'm doing. So uh, my nightly meals, I, I like to, I like to pretty much not fast, but I eat very little throughout the day. Cause I like a really big meal at the end of the day. Cause when I'm dieting and in a deficit, if I don't have that big meal, if I don't bank calories, that last meal, I will, I'll go nuts. And I'll eat anything that's in a pantry, even shit that I don't normally eat. So one of the things that I found that I like really a lot is this fucking Persian feta cheese that's at Woolies or Kohl's and it's expensive as shit, but it's so good. So I'll put like 50 grams of that on my veggies or on my steak at the end of the night. And so I started adding this in as a treat. And the first night I was getting these horrible bubble guts. Like my, I would lay in bed to go to bed and so I'd get up and I'd go to the bathroom and just green apple splatters everywhere. And then I'd stand up, I'd take two steps away, back on the toilet. So this went on for a few nights, uh, probably three or four nights. And I'm like, I'm looking at the supplements I'm taking. I'm looking at all this other stuff. Like, man, maybe I need some ox bile. Maybe I'm trying to figure it out. And I'm like, it's gotta be something I added. And so the last night I ate the cheese, I'm laying in bed and I'm like, I, I can't, I can't be on the shitter all night. I took two shits and I'm laying there going, I'm just going to go to sleep and I'll deal with it in the morning because I, I, I had not slept well for three nights. I woke up, I fucking pooed myself. So I fucking pooed <laughs> myself without knowing. Yeah. I woke up and I'm like, are you fucking serious? And luckily it all, yeah, it wasn't a lot. It was a little, but it was, it was enough to be like, damn it. I love those shorts. I hope that comes out. And then, <laughs> oh and so, 
So then like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not allowed to do laundry in my house because I'll fuck it up. So I, I called my wife and I'm like, Hey, um, I need to tell you something. What? Well, you know, my stomach's been fucked up. Yeah. Well, I pooed myself in bed. We sleep in different rooms because she sleeps with the dogs and it fucks my back up and oh. I can't sleep. So She's like, okay. I'm like, yeah, how do I run the washer? What do I do? And so she has to instruct me on how to do this. Cause I'm like, I, of course I'm embarrassed. I'm like, I don't want my wife to come home and see big old dookie stain on the sheets. <laughs> so, but then she pulled it out and she's like, dookie stain didn't come out. We're going to have to throw those sheets out. I'm like, all right, whatever. So, oh my God. I yeah. love it. You are I thought for sure that was going to, I thought that was going to go down the route of you just taking way too many of um the, the, the salts, but no, nah, I don't, and everyone does that. I don't take any of the salts. Actually, I'll take that back. I do a little bit of BHP salts, but it's in a brain uh, mm. supplement that I take. So it's like I've gone from, I've had this midlife crisis over the last few years where I, I just didn't feel the need to be the biggest motherfucker in the room anymore. Um, and I just wanted to be, I want to try to be the smartest guy in the room. You know, I don't have to be the smartest. I want to be, try, try to be one of the smartest. And I, I want to move well and I want to feel good. And I want to be, if I want to go run a 10K, I want to be able to do that, but also, you know, deadlift. 180 or whatever nothing i don't have these aspirations anymore for these massive competitions so i do take a lot of stuff for cardiovascular cell health a lot of stuff for immune system and a lot of brain stuff so thorn research actually came out with a new one called cinequel and cinequel plus and it was made by a neurologist for contact sports so anybody with ctes or people get bashed in the head a lot and when I looked at the ingredients, I was like, man, this would make a, that actually make a really good prophylactic brain supplement. And it ha- does have some uh, magnesium source BHBs in it. And man, it's been really good. It's, uh, I, I'm really impressed by that. I mean, mental clarity, especially my ADD is crazy with that. That and a little RG3 spray, your brain just runs like it's hundred miles an hour. Oh. I was going to say, um, while I got you, I was going to say, what you go to brain supplement, but there you go. and then if you can go um like if you're in australia and you want rg3 spray i highly recommend it because it it actually reduces inflammation of microglial cells um so it it will speed up your brain and keep your brain from getting inflamed um and it's a nasal spray so it's a nicotinamide riboside uh methyl 12 and then a very specific extract of ginseng so when you spray it in the nose it goes through the membranes and actually it works in your brain um anybody i've told to take that they're like fuck this shit is great it is compounded and it is prescription only but if you go to region med i think it's regionmed.com.au you can get that you can get peptides you know you can get that's where i get my peptides if i ever if i'm feeling injuries and i wanted to take some bcp and maybe some cjc with ipamorelin i get it from that place and it's always been really good but i've heard good things about region yeah yeah cool that's, That's another good. good something we're sharing. That is. We'll add that one. All right. Yeah. Would you rather? Oh, this is the, I mean, we've, we've. Have to shit yourself once a week for the rest of your life, like you did, and, you know, yeah. you have to get rid of the sheets and whatever, or forget everything you learned in the last five years. You can relearn oh, it. That's easy. Yeah, that's easy because I usually shit myself once a week anyway, so I'll take that. <laughs> Yeah. actually no, uh, no but at least once a month once a month like i you know here's the thing guys with i'm i'm 43 i'm on the back end of 43 and what you what you figure out once you hit 40 and you start moving down that you got to be really careful about the fart you trust right because you're just you're one fart away from making a bad decision and i make a bad decision probably once a month okay. <laughs> i definitely you know there's some people who fart and pretend it wasn't them whatever yeah 
I, if I shat myself, I, I'll definitely let everyone on the podcast know, no secret. Mm. I've gotten to 32 and I've never done it before. I think, really? Is there something wrong with I've me? not shit myself before. You're just not, you're just not trying hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> I've had multiple occasions where I thought I've started pissing myself, but as it's, as I've exited from the pants, it started midway oh, and you got to catch it into the toilet, but right. I've never shit myself either. Yeah. There you, go. you know what I find interesting is, you know, when you have, you have to go really bad, like let's say you're driving home and you're like, I'm just two blocks from the house and you're, you're like, you're like doing Kegels and you're like really like <laughs> sucking your sphincter up and you get out of the car and you're like, you're okay until you're within eyesight of the toilet. Yeah. And there's like a, there's like a fucking radar and your butthole goes, okay, we're good. And so you're like trying to slide onto the toilet while pulling your pants down and hoping it goes in. Yeah. I don't understand what that mechanism is where you're cool until you see the toilet. There's got to be something going on from the eyes, right? hundred percent. It's true. It's like the closer you get, the more busting you are. Yeah, but it can't be in your code because it's not like there was white porcelain toilets. When we, when we That's so I was in. I was at Walmart once, uh, and this is one of those types. It wasn't, you know, Walmart, you can either go to a, like a super nice one. You're like, damn, this is nice. This is almost like Target. It's a nice Walmart. Or you go in a, most Walmarts is fucking grungy. And I was like, dude, I got a shit. So I ran to the bathroom and that same thing happened. But I got to the toilet and it looked like, it looked like the type of toilet you get hepatitis B. Maybe you might get some, you might get HIV, you know, that type of thing. So I was like, there's no way I'm sitting on this toilet. So I tried to hover and it came out like a fucking, like a shotgun and went all over the wall. Oh, you're and, that guy. Yeah, but I didn't know, right? I'm like, pa, okay, good, Ooh, I'm good. And I looked down, I'm like, did I, did I imagine that? And I went, oh no. But then I figured, you know what? It's, it's no oh, worse right. than anything else in here. So I just wiped and walked out. So you know, time it right. You just hope that no one comes in after you. And you're just like, I think, sorry about that. Yeah, I think I might have been sore for box squat. So I just couldn't get down in a nice parallel position. So I think my, I was got too much anterior rotation and it's just good direct line to the wall. That's, I don't know what it is. I love a good poo story. That's the new um, test for you now. You got to get people to shit while they stand to determine where the hips are. <laughs> 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 that <laughs> Do you need a shit today? No, go home. We'll come back. To <laughs> There's a barbell here, a scale, a toilet in the middle of a room. Yeah, that's or inside sad. inside um, your it's gym. Get, and there's like a wall it, of height height variation for anterior or posterior pelvic <laughs> tilt. Yeah, you just get get one of those Asian toilets right in the middle of your gym. Say, all right, let's let's all see it. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, on. I love it. Now, Luke, where can people find you? Um, they can find me at musclenerds.net. Uh, you can find us at musclenerds underscore health, um, Luke Lehman on Instagram, but that is just strictly memes. Don't fucking DM me on there about anything to do with muscle nerds. Uh, I'll ignore you. Just go to muscle nerds. Um, what else do we have? That's a, we got YouTube. I'm, I'm going to start doing some more YouTube content. That's kind of my transition into another area. I'm starting to do more video stuff in, in that time, get away from coaching and let my coaches coach. Um, yeah. Facebook, nobody uses Facebook anymore, but we're on Facebook too. No one does. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, when I checked out your website, I don't know if it's still up there, but there's a little bio about the coaches and your saying is never waste a good burner. I love that. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I thought it was yeah. Especially now as he gets to the back end of 43. <laughs> that's it. Never pass up the chance to shit. Don't trust the fart and don't waste the boner, man. That's good. I think those are so three solid life lessons. Put those on a t-shirt. I would wear it. <laughs> 
Maybe I will. That's funny. Mm. Well, thanks for joining us again today, Luke. Another ripper of a podcast. Uh, no pun intended. No, uh, lots of pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll speak soon, I'm sure. Cool. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, mate.